Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. If you haven't noticed, this is a union that has had uh, a series of mayors that have acted arrogantly and unilaterally, uh, and we fought them all. Um, they've been bad bosses, and we're a union that fights bad bosses. And, and, and you know, that was true for Daly, that was true for Rom, that was true for Lightfoot. Um, I, you know, people want to personalize this and, and, and make it about us and Lightfoot. That's just, it doesn't fit the fact pattern that we have. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. My guests, plural, this week are the dynamic duo from the Chicago Teachers Union, CTU President Jesse Sharkey and Union Vice President Stacey Davis-Gates. Welcome to both of you. Good morning. After a long and very acrimonious battle, your members ratified an agreement this week that has allowed the Chicago Public Schools to gradually reopen. At the same time, you're in mourning. You're mourning the loss of the woman who not only gave birth to your movement to improve public education, she was the movement, the embodiment of it. Karen Lewis, who died of brain cancer this week, so tragically at the age of 67, way too young, but what a life she lived. Let's start by paying tribute to Karen Lewis. What do you think made her so special? Jesse, why don't you go first? Uh, you know, Karen was a mentor and an inspiration um, to all of us. You, you know, we we started out as, you know, teacher nerds in a study group with some ideas about uh, trying to change the world, with some ideas about trying to reclaim public education as a public right that should inspire us and, and make us feel dedicated to unlocking human potential in the next generation of children. Um, Karen was a person, though, who not only understood that vision kind of intellectually, but all the way down in her spirit and her belly. She, when, when she spoke, she had the ability to bring people into that vision and, and, and to motivate people. She put all of herself into, on the line, you know, when she, when she came into our movement. And I think it was her more than anyone that, that made us believe and understand that that could be a compelling vision. It could be a, a vision which could motivate and move people and that rather than something which we could read about and, you know, that a group of us could understand and see, it could be something that could move and motivate uh, a movement of, of tens of thousands and ultimately of millions of people. She she helped us to believe that this was gonna this was gonna be something which was gonna which was gonna change our city and ultimately change the world, uh, and that was because of the way Karen went all in. Uh, you, you know the way that she 
I think that those personal qualities of her and everyone who knows her talked about how, you know, how, how her, um, she was so genuine. She, she, she was entirely present. You know, when she, when Karen talked to you, you believed that she was, you were the only person in the world who mattered. Uh, and that was genuine. That wasn't fake at all. And, and so her personal qualities were exactly the thing that we needed uh, at a time that we needed it most. And, um, you know, we're really, it, it's sad. We're in mourning. She, she, she contributed something unique and special in a way that, that has left our world a better place. Stacy, what were your encounters with Karen? Um, you don't have what enough time from her. You don't have enough time, Fran. Um, Karen was both very big because she was for Chicago, public education, labor, justice, equity. And she was also all yours um, when you sat with her, um, when you needed her ear, when you needed her wisdom. She connected on a very micro level and, and, and macro level. Few people can do that. And she, um, her authenticity on the stage at the auditorium theater was the same type of authenticity in her office one-to-one. -one. Um, you know, to me, Karen is the most transformative leader that this city has seen in this century. There was Chicago prior to 2012, and there's the Chicago that we have now. And the type of voice and clarity, the focus on humanity and justice and equity, she ushered this era in that we're um, currently fighting, um, continuing to fight for. So to me, Karen, um, she plowed this ground for the Chicago that has democratic socialists in the city council. She plowed this ground for um, black women able to provide voice and clarity to the fight of for black people, for black liberation and self-determination. She plowed the ground for labor to be seen as partners, as experts, as professionals. Um, all of those things are very important um, legacies of our dear sister. Are there any parallels between the 2012 strike that Karen Lewis so charismatically led and became a folk hearer as she stood up to Rahm Emanuel and your fight with Lori Lightfoot? Jesse, first. Well, I definitely think that, that the struggles that we are in now are a continuation of 12 in the sense that there were a number of things that we did not achieve in 12. It was a difficult negotiation in the sense that the balance of forces, the, the powers that were arrayed against us were very confident and our people did not yet have their own confidence and, and, our, and we did not yet have our own, um, you know, our, the, the sense of our own power and, and our movement wasn't well developed in, in the political sense, uh, in terms of our organization at the school level and, and in terms of a whole number of things. Someone pointed out that at that auditorium theater rally in 12, there were only four aldermen sitting on the stage. And um, that's not the case anymore. You know, I, I, we, we continue to organize. That, that wasn't like our, that wasn't the end of our goals. That was the beginning of what we've seen as an ongoing fight to transform public education. And so, you know, in 19, we were actually, in 19, uh, we, in, in that contract, 
battle, we, we finally achieved some of the things that we had set out to achieve in 12. Um, I, I think there are some ways in which this negotiation, um, the one that around school reopening has been different, is, I, I mean, I think Stacy probably agrees with me. It's been the hardest negotiation I've ever been involved in in my life. Um, not just the personal toll of it, um, you know, the context of death and loss and a whole society that it, that's reeling with that. Um, but just the, you know, it, it, it's the, the landscape of it has been marked, is marked by fear and loss and just incredible tension. It's been, it's been a cauldron of stress and, and difficulty. So I don't really know if, if I would fit this negotiation in that pattern. Um, it's sort of a pattern breaker. It's, it's, it's a pandemic. It's different. It's not like anything I've ever experienced. It's, I hope we never go through it again. Um, uh, but, but, you know, but I will say that Karen's legacy has been very much in my mind, even, even before Monday, because, you know, what, what she showed us is that we, you just got to, you got to battle, you got to keep on. And, and some, you know, and, and she obviously battled with cancer for more than half a decade. And, you know, I think the thing about that battle is you, you, you fight it. And what, what winning looks like is just the ability to wake up and do it again. And that's sort of how I feel about where we're at right now. Is we Before the 2019 problem. strike, Lightfoot famously said, I'm not wrong. Do you see any parallels between the two, Stacey? It's not so much as seeing the parallels. It's in as much as what leadership is willing to do and not do um, for the people here in Chicago. We've been very clear at the union about how negotiations should happen. So number one, we've always said that negotiations should be open. We believe that we are in service of a public good and that the public needs to participate. Back in 2013, the Chicago, Un the Chicago Teachers Union doubled down on its effort to make bargaining open by saying, let's use the Montgomery County system where every single labor union um, that represents workers in that school district sit at the table together, along with um, the boss, along with the PTA. That there is an institutional way that governs the stakeholders within schools. I would even say in Chicago, because we have such an active and, and clear-minded um, student um, population, that they too deserve a seat at the table that there is quite frankly a way to bring all of us together and put the objectives in the middle of the table and figure out how to meet those objectives. What is similar, not just Ram or Lori, um, but what is similar is that this city does not prioritize the least of these, that there is a muscle that is weak when it comes to collaboration, when it comes to sharing, and quite frankly, when it comes to facts. I keep hearing this schools are safe talking point coming from the fifth floor and coming from CPS. What I would say is that there are over a thousand, almost 1100 COVID um, incidents that have already happened in the Chicago public schools. And when school opened for cluster and pre-K students, there was a precipitous spike that involved at least 60 schools and that there were clusters. McCutcheon Elementary School was a cluster. 
So we have to agree on objectives. We also cannot quibble over facts. Um, and we spent way too much time quibbling over facts. Um, and so the similarities are that no one wants an elected school board once they become mayor of the city. The similarities are no one wants to prioritize the, the, the voices of the families that need CPS to work um, the best because that is the public good that is afforded to them. Jesse, you didn't mince your words in your letter to your members on uh, Wednesday. You lit into Mayor Lightfoot for her handling of the negotiations and even the final agreement even though you acknowledged it was an improvement from where you started. You said this plan is not what any of us deserve, not us, not our students, not our families. And the fact that CPS could not delay reopening a few short weeks to ramp up vaccines and preparations was a disgrace. Your union also took a 90% no confidence vote in Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Why was it so overwhelming? What is that lingering anger still about? The, the school board and the mayor's administration began these negotiations by declaring, legally declaring, that it is a legal filing. They had no intent to bargain with us about whether or when open. Um, it went downhill from there. Uh, this summer when we were talking about teachers doing voluntary house visits to make sure that families had things they needed to, to do remote learning properly, um, we were rebuffed. They didn't even respond to that to, to us on, on those kind of requests. When we asked for uh, common sense reforms, things that educators are demanding in order to be more effective at remote learning, we were uh, we were told that they had no intention to even bargain with us. We we got we got angry lectures about that. When we started asking, um, you know, the, the the school board about exploring the idea that that we should that we should be reopening in a pilot you know a pilot school method where where we identify the students who needed educational services the most and connect those with people who are most confident about going back, we got angry tirades and lectures. And I I could you know and and basically um, and then after that the the actual decision makers uh, in CPS stopped showing up at the bargaining table. Um, I mean, I could go on and on, but but the the truth of the matter is that we basically felt ignored, dictated to, run over, and treated like our concerns were uh, were were bogus and completely unjustified. Contrast that to the fact that the experience of working class parts of the city about COVID are 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 not the same things that are coming out of the neighborhoods that are close to the lake. Um, you know, you've got whole parts of Chicago where sure, positivity rates are 4%. Death rates are really low. People live with them and their kids, um, you know, in with housing that, that has plenty of space in it, where, where the people who are working are teleworking, where they've got pretty good health to begin with. You contrast that to places that are on the southwest side or, you know, parts of the Latinx working class community or the black working class community, where you've got crowded multi-generational housing. You don't have very good health care to begin with, um, you know, where people have to work in the service sector. So they're taking buses, they're going out and working and bringing COVID back in. And people are dying in those communities. And I've got, I've got a friend who's, who's been to nine funerals. And... You know, so badgering us and beating us up with with a with uh, you know a scientific study, which just doesn't even really get to all the questions that people have about school, um, which is not effective. And and so yeah, there was a lot of anger, um, a, a, a lot. And 
I think what gets lost in this and, and what I want to emphasize, and then I'll stop talking because I know I'm going on, uh, is that actually teachers believe in in-person school. We want to figure out a way to run school. We always did. Um, but I, I liken it to swimming, friend. Like if you want to teach someone to swim, you don't tell them that swimming is safe and throw them in the deep end of the pool, especially not in the dark and in the cold. Uh, you know, what you do is you you have, you have you let children play in the shallow end of the pool and splash around in it. And they see the people who are able to swim in the other end and, and they see that it's fun and that it's safe. And then, and then kids learn how to do that. And that's the way we should have approached school opening. Um, and when we, but when we tried to say that we were, we were ignored, patronized and, and, you know, bullied and tried to bully into having an opening plan. And I hope we don't do it that way again. I, I, I really see what, what exactly did you want that you didn't get? Because you did get a lot. I mean, she, she's phasing in the reopening, uh, speeding up the immunizations, spent a lot of money uh, trying to make the schools ventilated and safe. Uh, what what did you want that you did not get? Was it the accommodations for people who have loved ones at home with compromised immune systems or what is it? Well, first I would say, Fran, the way that we come to analyze these agreements um, is insufficient for this particular agreement because this particular agreement should have never been a negotiation. The, all the things that are in this agreement quite frankly, are just standards. So the question should be, why was the mayor and her team at CPS reluctant to create a standard that could be enforced, whereas the system itself could be held accountable and keeping all of the stakeholders safe? That's the question that I think sh should be first. That is priority. Why wasn't a standard given? Overlay the agreement that we have now with what was given to Chicago parents, educators, family, students um, at the end of last summer. And what you will see is something far better than where they started and still insufficient. This is a pandemic. Our school system serves um, majority students of color and zip codes and communities that have been ravaged by COVID. And so if we're saying equity, as was often said by the mayor and her team, then equity didn't look like the plan that they rolled out in the beginning. And equity is still in short supply within this plan because the overwhelming majority of families are still remote. The overwhelming number of black families, of brown families, of families that have suffered through COVID are still remote. And there have been zero improvements to remote. And so, Selling a thing off the backs of black and brown children is one thing. Actually delivering and implementing their needs into an agreement, into a plan, into a standard is what we need. And to hear them say, the mayor, her team, that they have made all of the improvements to remote learning that they intend to make is a slap in the face for those who will continue to be in remote learning. Juxtaposed to that, our educators will have a screen in front of them and children in front of them. There will be children on the screen and children in front of them. Fran, tell me how do you instruct like that? What is the best practice for that type of instruction? How, how, how does every student receive the best type of instruction? I keep hearing social emotional. We need to get kids back into buildings to offer them what? 
There are four school libraries on the west side of Chicago in those schools, majority black neighborhoods. Is there a social worker in every school building? Is there a nurse in every school building? It won't be until the end of our contract. You cannot tell me that returning people to a building where you have not made um, systemic changes to what kids um, receive because of their needs. And here's the other thing, and I'll end on this point. Black kids and brown kids aren't just suffering from COVID. They're also suffering from this unrelenting gun violence in this city. They too are losing friends and family members from that as well. That trauma has yet to be addressed systemically in the Chicago public schools or even, or even in the city of Chicago. So this illusion that was painted about what the building would offer black children and brown children is dangerous because we know as educators, as building level workers, what's there and what's duct tape there. So Janice Jackson said this week that she believes that this agreement will be a starting point for the negotiations and provide the framework to reopen the high schools, which is terribly important. You've got 100,000 kids at the prime time of their life, social beings, teenagers are, that have been isolated and alone and their futures hang in the balance. Will you be able to negotiate an agreement that gets these high schools open using this framework or could this repeat itself again? Jesse? It can't repeat itself. That's not, that's not an acceptable outcome. We have to be able to start with the things which we, uh, which we believe, in which, we, which I hope and I think we hold in common, which is we want students in the buildings. Like, like in-person school is better in every way than, than remote school save one which is that there's a pandemic right now. So we, you know, we, we should work together and figure out ways to, um, to make school as safe as possible but while still um, doing the things that we need to do to help kids be safe and, and, and families be safe. My own son is a senior in high school. You know, he had his, you know, the, the after March last year was a junior and it's been really hard. It's been, it's been hard inside our household. Um, I was a high school teacher. I know a lot about how high school works and there's things that we're going to be able to do. Um, you know, I think there's, you know, I'm already talking to a lot of high school. We have a lot of ideas about this. Um, if the, if the expertise of on the ground educators is brought into this and we're listened to, I believe we'll be able to do something that works. What do you want Stacy to get high schools open? What will it take? I think that's, um, let me alter that question. Um, a bit, Fran, who is the mayor and, and, and her team at CPS willing to listen to? Who are they willing um, to bring to the table and amplify their voices? I, I reject this notion of learning loss because what I am observing with my own three children who are in my household on remote learning, who are CPS students, um, I'm still seeing growth and learning. Now it's not the type of learning that uh, CPS is accustomed to because that the only type of learning that they wanna um, you know, affirm is what is on a standardized test, right? So I'm seeing learning happen in my household. Part two, I'm also seeing the young people who organize cops out of CPS, um, the student pandemic response, good kids, mad city, voice, and the countless other 
um, organizations that are organizing around their needs, right? They're saying that we need a better remote learning schedule because many of us won't be returning to the building. We need flexibility because many of us are also working in grocery stores and we need some flexibility and time to make both of these things work because they are living in working class households where mom or dad or even both no longer work. So it is who, who are they willing to bring to the table to hear and then to create policy and implement policy that reflects the needs of those that are often used as a talking point. That's the only way that this works is if those who have been deprioritized in these discussions have an opportunity to participate and, and, and see their needs foment into real policy. Even on a reopening day that she hoped would mark the beginning of a healing process, the mayor couldn't resist taking a shot at you both uh, without naming you. She accused the union of fear-mongering, thereby driving down the percentage of parents who felt safe enough to send their kids back. Jesse, what do you think about that? I don't know if I even have word, words for that. I, you know, does the mayor really think the union is whipping up fear about a global pandemic that's killed 450,000 Americans and, you know, is, is devastating working class neighborhoods in the city now. Um, you know, I'll, I'll invite the mayor to some um, some chat rooms, some social media chat rooms with teachers and, and, and the American and the American talk to some of our members about this. And it, this is not something that Stacy and I have orchestrated. Um, we view ourselves as leaders that try to reflect uh, and champion the concerns of our members and also the broader public school community. Um, and, you know, I know there's been vocal parents who said, open the schools, it's safe. Um, but that's not what the majority of parents are saying. Um, majority of parents live in working class neighborhoods and, and have a lot of, you know, justified fears about this. We can do things to mitigate and make schools safer. And, and I actually am, I am proud of the things which are in the agreement, which will help do that. I am. Um, but, you know, it, like I said, you know, it, you can give anyone all the lectures you want about how it's safe to swim. But if you throw them in the deep end of the pool and they haven't had a chance to, like, see some success and, and you know, go in at their own pace, it's never going to work. Are um, you still open to extending the school year, Stacy? Do you think that's something that needs to happen? Do the students who've been struggling to learn at home for a year need it? And would your members go along with it? So here's the thing. I am ready to reimagine what public education looks like for the students who need public education to work better. So I hope that we can mark pre-pandemic education in Chicago and post-pandemic education in Chicago. It's not simply about just extending the school year. It is also about what are we putting into our school communities that provide our students with what they need? How are we shifting from um, a standardized testing regime to something that looks like portfolio learning. How are we going to begin to offer extracurricular activities in our elementary schools that feed into the neighborhood high schools? How are we thinking about ensuring that world language and computer science and art and music and physical education is offered in every single Chicago public school so kids have a well-rounded experience in our school community. It is still the same fight, Fran. 
2011, the Chicago Public Schools said, uh, the Chicago Public Schools rejected our pleas for the school Chicago students deserve. That hasn't changed because we have not won those things yet. We are chipping away at it, absolutely. And we're not there. We need sustainable community schools. I'll close on this part. Throughout this pandemic, we have seen the sacrifice of every member of the school community. They have fed children, they have knocked on their doors, they have taken manipulatives and books and resources to their houses, right? Mm -hmm. We have members who have had mutual aid campaigns um, for the tens of thousands of dollars in their school community. So we have resolved nationally that schools are an anchor, are a lighthouse in communities. So what we need to resolve on this end of the pandemic is how do we make them sustainable and community focused? How do we provide more agency for the people who need these institutions instead of ignoring their voice and deprioritizing their needs until we need a talking point? So I'm looking for the district to expand and resource sustainable community schools. We have 20. We need um, we need all of them to be that way. A lot of your members did vote against this agreement. Is anybody worried about mass retirements, teachers leaving, looking for jobs elsewhere because of this and the fallout from it? And also, are you worried about parents getting disgusted and pulling their kids out of the system or leaving the city? Jesse? Fran, wait a minute. Let me, let, me, let me hit this ball first, Jesse, because I keep hearing, um, and Fran is a political reporter, so I know Fran knows better when it comes to um, these vote results. Fran, when have you ever seen a vote result like we have consistently in the Chicago Teachers Union in Chicago or in the state or at the county level? You never get the turnout that we get. You never get the vote totals that we get. You never get the mass participation that we get. That goes to the hyper-democracy within our union and the trust that our union leadership has in our rank and file. I don't worry about how people vote. I worry about how transparent we are. I worry about how engaging we are. I worry about how we take their needs and their concerns to the bargaining table. Those are our responsibilities as leaders in this union. But is now, anybody worried about well, teacher retirements or parents leaving? worried about it, I think that's what our mayor set up. She set up um, an adversarial relationship, tried to at least, between our members and the families that they serve, between the city and teachers. Instead of the pandemic, the pandemic is the cause of all of what we're experiencing in this moment and failed government response. That is what we're experiencing in this moment. The people who are doing the best that they can in the middle of a pandemic by surviving and still offering service, do not need ridicule, insult, but they need help, empathy, and grace. And quite frankly, leadership that doesn't look like a TikTok video, but it looks like empathetic listening. It looks like the implementation of a vaccination program where the same people who are dying are also getting shots in the arms instead of white folks coming from the suburbs to 67th and Stony getting a shot at, at, at Walgreens there. You got to have a shift. And then we also have to have a relationship with the facts and not the talking points. Before we go, will the CTU run a candidate for mayor against Lori Lightfoot in 2023 if she chooses to seek reelection? And Stacy, could it be you? 
Uh, can I just say this, that the Chicago Teachers Union is a union that is concerned about schools, um, we're concerned about our members, we're concerned about public school students and their parents and, and the communities. Like, if you haven't noticed, this is a union that has had uh, a series of mayors that have acted arrogantly and unilaterally, uh, and we fought them all. Um, they've been bad bosses, and we're a union that fights bad bosses. And, and, and you know, that was true for Daly, that was true for Rom, that was true for Lightfoot. Um, I, you know, people want to personalize this and, and, and make it about us and Lightfoot. That's just, it doesn't fit the fact pattern that we have. Um, we want good schools for our students and children. We want to have a vision that uh, that is about, un, you know, unlocking a better future for the future generation of people in the city. Um, and that's kind of how we're going to, that's the way, that's our stance. That's going to continue to be our stance. But Stacy, could you run for mayor? Is that possible? You know what Stacy is concerned with? Stacy is concerned with getting this agreement implemented so we have safe facilities. I am concerned and in, and in constant prayer for the safety and security of the students, the staff, and the faculty that enter the Chicago public schools every day. That's, that's where I'm focused in this moment. And quite frankly, I think every elected official who's focused on election and not on keeping people safe and making safety more accessible to all of us, they're missing their moment. Their moment right now is about safety. Their moment right now is about survival and recovery. That's all any of us should be pulling towards. Elections take care of themselves. But we know from this experience that we've been having for almost a year now that we need leaders who are empathetic and responsive and that will prioritize those who need the most. That's the only thing that our union, our movement, and the people that we ally ourselves with are focused on. Is that a no flat out, lock the door, no, I'm not running? Or is it open? No, I mean, Fran, here's the thing, and, and I'm going to say this very clearly. I am surviving a pandemic. Our members are surviving a pandemic. Black people in this city, brown people in this city, working class people in the city are surviving a pandemic. And if the only thing we're talking about is elections, we don't see those people. I see the need and I am in service to meeting their needs at the bargaining table, on the streets of Chicago, in our school buildings, anywhere where I can lend my influence and credibility and, 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 and teamwork. That's what I'm focused in on. And that's the answer to that question, Fran. I don't have time to think about anything else, but how tomorrow looks and what that looks like. You know, I've had family members um, who've dealt with COVID. We have lost um, a very dear member, members to COVID. Um, no, I'm just focused on making sure that Chicago, the Chicago we serve um, has a fighting chance. Are the schools right now today with this agreement safe, Jesse? Um, working on it. Uh, you know, if the district uh, fulfills its promises and our, our, our members um, do the things that we need to do to hold the district accountable, then it's better than it was. Um, and But it's going to be an ongoing and constant struggle. All right. It, Thank it, you it, to both happen. of you for joining us. Jesse Sharkey, president of the Chicago Teachers Union, and Stacey Davis-Gates. And we will see you all next week. Stay safe out there.